three. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank for the opportunity to come together. We ask that you lead and guide as we look at your word, and we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we're going to read the Ephesians 3, starting to, uh, we're going to start at verse 12, even though we talked about it last week, uh, excuse me, 13, we talked about it last week. I'm going to read the whole sentence. I don't know if I'm going to get through the whole sentence. This is another one of Paul's very long sentences. Uh, so starting at verse 13, Wherefore I desire that you faint not in my tribulation for you, which is your glory. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with the might of his, by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints that which is, which is the breadth, the length, the depth, the height, and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that he might, that you might be filled with the fullness of God. There's a lot of stuff in this one sentence. So like I said, I don't know how far we're going to get on this sentence, but I want to read the whole, whole sentence. Now we talked last week that Paul was telling people, I don't want you to faint because of how hard things are for me. And we talked a lot about how we, we all know different people that have had a really hard time even after they've gotten saved. And God is saying, and Paul is saying, no, don't give up just because of what I'm going through. Don't say, don't try to become a Christian because of how hard you see his life being. Because Paul praised God. And in 1 Thessalonians, it says, in everything give thanks, rejoice evermore, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Because he rejoiced in it. And we've talked about that. You know, we read about uh, Paul in the Philippian jail after he had been beaten and singing hymns. Now, I don't know how many of you would think that would be your first thought. I'm going to go sing. I'm going to get beat up. I'm going to get whipped, be bleeding. And the first thing I'm going to think of doing in the middle of the night is praising God in hymns and songs. But that was the way he operated. The, the disciples would get beat, get put into jail overnight. They'd go out, be released the next day. And the first thing they do would go witness saying, we've got to obey God. And we've, we've talked about this. They've, their statement was, we rejoice that God has found us worthy of suffering. Now, that's not the message we hear most of the time in America. You know, you know, what's the message we hear in America so often? And it is the wrong message. Get saved and everything's going to be good. <laughs> I've heard that message so many times on the radio and TV and, and everything. What a lie. I've heard people on the street going, get saved and everything's going to be, and God will you know, take care of all your problems. Well, that's not true either. He gives us the strength to go through our problems. He gives us the strength to be victorious in our problems, but we have problems. And so we want to keep that in mind, and, and Paul is starting that verse out with this sentence. And then he goes in verse 13 and says, For this cause I bow my knees. Because I'm, sir, I'm in tribulation and I don't want you to faint, I pray for you. Paul was always telling these people he prayed for them. And you know, we need prayer. We've talked about this. We are in a spiritual battle. Our greatest weapon is prayer. Our, we also get to hide in God. We've talked about this. If you come to the Psalms classes, Psalms is all through there. 
God is our strong tower. Hide in God. He's our buckler. He's our shield. He says, hide in him. And this makes Christianity easy to live because we just go and run into the shelter. Just as we would do if there was a storm coming out, to, you know, unless you're a really crazy person, you don't stand out in the middle of the storm. Okay? If you see a... Uh, well, we don't have hurricanes around here, but you saw a tornado coming, you're not going to stand out in the middle of the field watching this hurricane unless you're one of those crazy storm chasers. Uh, you go find shelter. And you don't feel bad because you went to go find shelter. If you see a storm coming and the, and the rain is pouring down in buckets, you go find something to be under to keep the rain from coming in. And God is saying, you're in the storms of life go and seek shelter. Paul tells us in Ephesians 6 to put on the whole armor of God. And when we get there, we're going to talk about how each piece of the armor really is Jesus. He's saying, be in Jesus. Let the storm, let the attacks come on him. So Paul is trying to encourage people, don't let yourselves get faint, especially looking at somebody else. <laughs> you know, some people, and it's amazing to me sometimes, you look at some Christians and nothing seems to ever go wrong in their life, at least in what we see. You know, who knows what's really going on? They're just good at not showing what's going on. Other people, they seem to be getting beat up every time they turn around. Part of it, I think, is attitude. I have a friend who says that everything is attitude. You know, how are you looking at things? I wake up each day and I'm going to have a good day. I really am. I'm going to have a good day because I don't care what happens. Because God's in control. But I get people that, oh, the sun's not shining. It's going to be a miserable day. I've worked with these people. You have too, but, you know, if you're not one of them, you've worked with these people. You know, oh, the sun's not shining. It's going to be a miserable day. Oh, it's raining. How terrible. Here in Arizona, we don't count rain as terrible, do we? Usually. <laughs> I was amazed when I first moved to Arizona. I was working out there and it started raining and all my employees wanted to go play in the rain. <laughs> and I'm going, what's wrong with these people? <laughs> you know, the first snow shower, that was even worse. <laughs> uh, but, you know, we look at things and we can look at, we have a choice in all of our, in all these, we're going to be hiding in God or are we going to have a good time with God or are we going to be miserable and depressed and, and make everybody else miserable and depressed that come around us? And we have that choice, and God is saying, hide in me. The greatest advantage for us is nothing surprises God. Nothing that happens to us is a surprise to him. He already knows it's going to happen because he's, as we've talked about, he's omnipresent. And we've talked often about that. He's everywhere and every time. He's outside of time. He's at the beginning of time and end of time at the same time which doesn't make sense to him, but does, it doesn't make sense to us either. But he's everywhere, every time, so he already knows what we're going to do. He already knows what's going to happen to us. And we said it over and over, There's no, we're never going to hear God say, oh, no, I didn't know that was going to happen. I'm so surprised that that happened to you. He's not. And he's given us the strength and the provision to go through whatever it is we're going to go through. He gives us enough grace. He gives us enough understanding. If we're in the Word, he gives us training in the Word. And this is the great thing for us. How do we look at tribulation? Jesus said, they hated me, they're going to hate you. Satan hated him, Satan hates us. Well, Satan hates all of humanity, but he really hates us as Christians because we're going to heaven. And he's going to do whatever he can to try to stop us. And you know, the one thing we want to look at is when you're going through a hard time, 
after you've looked at it and say, have I done something that deserves this punishment? And if you go, no, I haven't, and, and say, thank you, God, I'm, I'm worthy of this test. Can, can you really understand how that is? If you change your mindset toward tests, that God, thank you that you found me worthy of this trial, this test, as opposed to what a miserable time I'm having. Now, God, you've given me the opportunity to display your love, your, your living for you, and go forward. This is, this is a big deal for you. If you can make a mindset changed. Same thing for Christians. When, when Jesus, uh, God said in, in Psalms, precious in his sight is the death of his saints. Why? Because we transition from this terrible world right into his presence. And you get to go right in front of him and say, here I am, thank you, Father. And not have any more problems the rest of your eternity. Other than struggling here on earth to, to live right. How does the world look at it? This is the end. <laughs> you know, nothing but sorrow. We're never going to see him again. Again, how do we look at things? Do we have a biblical worldview, or are we looking at things the way the, the rest of the world looks at it? And we've talked about this. God has a, a truth for every part of our life. Satan has multiple lies for every truth that God has. Okay, multiple lies. Now, if he can't get you on one, he'll get you on another one if you're, if you're not following a biblical mindset. You know, God says that once you die, you, you spend, you're, you're immediately with the Father. To be absent from the body is to be present with God. What's the world say? It's the end. There's no more. Reincarnation. You go stand before God and maybe you'll get to be accepted or not, depending on how good or bad you were. You know, and lie after lie after lie against what God says. And this is true in every aspect of your life. God says that you get married, you're supposed to stay together. The world says, well, they, as soon as you don't feel good about it, go ahead and get divorced or go cheat or you know, make yourself feel good. And, you, know, you know the lies. You know the lies that, you're, that are bombarded into us. We go and say, what does God say? What does he say the truth is? And we stand on his truth. Because the world is going to give us a ton of other ways to think of things you know, that aren't biblical but sound good if, you have the, if it's what you want to believe. And the lie is there. And he's out there saying, I want you to believe this. And, Jesus, and Paul goes on, he says, and I bend my knees into the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Christians. <laughs> named after Jesus. Literally named after him in, you know, after Antioch. And remember, when they first started calling them Christians, they, there was an accusation against them. It was supposed to be making fun of them. They were going, you're just a bunch of Christ followers. <laughs> and you know what? Christians like that. In the early church, they go, they liked it. And they, they changed. They, they were being called the followers of the way. And then they become Christians. And it's a great title. It really is. The question is, are we living as Christ followers? Am I living my life trying to be as Christ-like as possible, letting him live through me? That has some implications. I've met many Christians who aren't trying to live like Christians. You wouldn't know that they were a Christian if they didn't tell you they were a Christian. That makes me bothered. I don't know that they're a Christian. If I have to be told that they're a Christian, I have to wonder, are they a Christian? I'm not going to be their judge. God's going to be their judge. 
But James tells us that the only way you can prove it is to live it. You know, do your works. He goes, show me, show me your faith without works, and I will show you my faith by my works, is what he said. And you should be able to live a Christian. If you look at your life, are you living a life that tells people you're a Christian? It doesn't mean we're going to be perfect because we won't be perfect. We will never be perfect. But people should be able to look at us and say, there's something different about this person. Uh, you know, do your neighbors know that you're a Christian? I know people whose neighbors don't know they're Christians. You know, I guess they sneak out on Sunday morning, you know, Bible hidden under the code, you know, no, I can't say that I'm a Christian. <laughs> you know, and of course, if you're only going once or twice a month, you're not going to be known to be a Christian anyway. But do they know you're a Christian? Does your lifestyle tell them you're a Christian? You know, I've had people ask me because the police have never been to my house. The whole time we've been there, the police have never been to our house, except when they were investigating the guy next door to ask us <laughs> questions. You know, but I've had people go, well, how come the police never go? Well, because we are trying to live Christ-like. We're not fighting and arguing. We've got places all around us. The police are there three or four times a month. <laughs> but do they know? Is your lifestyle different enough? Do you have integrity that when you say something, people believe it? This is important as a Christian. Honesty, integrity. Do you, do you honor your marriage? Is your family a strong family? Are the kids being raised up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? All these things are important because we carry the name of Christ. And we've talked often about this. Name of Christ does not just mean Jesus. <laughs> you know, that is his name. Yes, it's Jesus in English. You know, uh, but do you actually take his name? And the name literally means the reputation and everything about him. You know, when we call ourselves Christian, we're saying... I am a follower of Christ and I am going to walk in the reputation that honors him. And we've talked about this. If you're an ambassador for America, and none of us in this room will ever be ambassadors probably, but if you were sent overseas to be an ambassador for America, everything you do and say, they look at it and say, that's what America is. And you'd better be <laughs> a good representation for the country. We are called the ambassadors of Christ. We live in a foreign world. Hope you understand that. We're all aliens in this world if we're Christians. This is not our home. And if you feel comfortable in this home, something's wrong. Because we should always feel out of step with this world. Because we have a different way of thinking. We have a different government we represent. We have a different activity, a different life. If you feel comfortable in this world, I challenge you, examine where you're at with God. Because you shouldn't feel comfortable. I'm not going to say you're going to be miserable and upset, but you shouldn't feel real comfortable. You know, this world is full of people who twist the truth, is what they'll call it, they're lying, but they, you know, they'll call it, I'm just twisting the truth, I want myself to look, you know, I want it to look good, I don't want you to, I just don't want to be fully honest. And we all know what that happens. We all know what it's like. But we need to be walking in a way that is separate. We are ambassadors for a different kingdom. And I hope you understand it. And I'm just going to throw a rhetorical question for you. Don't answer it out loud or anything. But have you ever had somebody ask you why you're different, why you don't do the things you do that they do? Or, you know, I hope so. 
I hope so because that shows that you're living a style of life different from them. If you've never had anybody ever ask you why, you're, why you don't do the things that they do or say the things they do or watch what they watch or do what they do, again, examine your life and find out, am I truly following after God? Do I truly know him? Do I, am I, is my life, you know, when I was working in restaurants, everybody always would come up to me and ask, you know, how come you're not getting upset when this happens or that happens? And, you know, how can you be happy all the time? And, you know, I never feel like I'm happy all the time, but it, it's, <laughs> but, uh, well, people tell me I am, and I know I'm happier than most people I know, but it's, but, you know, we need that area that we live different, and they say, you're different. Why? And if they, if they open the question, you answer them. <laughs> you answer them and tell them the gospel. And the gospel is so simple, we've talked about it so often. We are sinners. <laughs> All of us have sinned. The penalty of sin is death, hell. Jesus paid the price. And in Romans 5.8, God commended his love while we were yet sinners, he died for us. How many people would die for somebody who's their enemy? How many of you would do something nice for somebody who's your enemy? You know, that's the godly way. You know, that is what God says to do. That's what Jesus said to do. Be kind to those that despitefully use you. Do good to those to them. And the flesh is saying, uh, you, you mistreated me. I'm going to get you. That's the flesh. And God says, no, you love them. You do good to them. And then we accept we accept that gift that God's holding out. The gospel message. We have to believe those, but it changes our lives. It changes our lives because Christ comes to live in us, as this verse is going to tell us. He comes in to live us. He gives us that strength. And then it goes on verse 16, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened by his might, with the might of his spirit in the inner man. How do we live the Christian life? We surrender. <laughs> Even more than surrender, Galatians 2.20, we are crucified with Christ. He crucifies our flesh. He comes and indwells us. He gives us the strength. And I love the way Paul put it, by the riches of his glory. God is not up there being very stingy saying, Okay, I'm going to give you an eyedropper full of my glory. I'm going to give you an eyedropper full of grace. He pours it over us. I don't know how many times you may have read the Old Testament where it says they anointed somebody. Now, Christians, when they anoint somebody, take a little drop of oil and put it on your forehead and you've been anointed. That's not what it meant in the Old Testament. When they anointed somebody, they took a big flask that was between a gallon to five gallons of olive oil and dumped it over them. It was a representation of the Holy Spirit coming so fully on us that it flowed off, off of us and touched other people's lives. I would agree, ooh, but you know, they used it as medicine too. It helped get rid of all the other stuff that might be on you because you took your yearly bath whether you needed it or not. <laughs> So the oil was actually good for you. <laughs> but no dry skin there. <laughs> <laughs> but the picture of this, God 
overwhelms us with his goodness. He is not being stingy. Yeah. He has an infinite amount of stuff to give because if he runs out, he'll just create more. <laughs> you know, he, he, he has no problem. Oh, I'm running low on this. I'll just create more. <laughs> and he flows it out over us abundantly. I've met so many people that, that say they're Christians and they have this picture of God being so stingy with the blessings, so stingy with his love, so stingy with his protection. We've talked about it. I've met a lot of people who feel like God's up there with a baseball bat ready to hit you the moment you do something wrong. That is not God. He loved us so much that while we were his enemies, he sent Jesus to die for us. That is a love that is just an amazing amount of love. Because most people would be willing to give up something for somebody they like. You know, I, I'll, I'll protect you. I'll, I'll, I'll take the chance of being hit by the traffic to push you out of the way. But most people won't do that for an enemy. And don't, take, don't get arrogant to the place. When you're living in sin, you are God's enemy. Before you're saved, you're his enemy. We had no desire for him. He loved us, but we had no desire for him. He came in and changes us. He changes who we are, and we're able to minister. This is important for us to understand the richness of God, how much he loves us. His abundant grace that he pours on us. His great patience. I don't know about you guys, but I've had to deal with God's patience and my stubbornness with him. Not doing things right, not doing things right, and yet he still gave me opportunities to learn more about him. Look at what he did with the children of Israel. They spent 400 years, you know, 490 years disobeying God before he finally punished them. He took the citizens of Canaan 430 years he dealt with them while they misbehaved, misbehaved, and never came back to him. He sent the children of Israel in to, to be their punishment. He is so patient with us. Much more patient than any of us are ever. You know, most of us are, you know, if we had, when, back when we had kids, our kids start, you know, dad, 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 get away, I'm tired of you. You know, I've been busy, I just want to sit down, you know, no. <laughs> How quickly we lose our patience, and yet God is patient with us. He loves us. He will keep trying to teach us the lesson over and over and over and over and over and over again. Until we get it right. Until we finally get it right. God, God is an excellent teacher. He doesn't move on to the next lesson until you learn the one you're supposed to learn. And if you take a long time to do it, he'll just wait for you to finish that lesson. Abraham was told to leave his family, and he, he managed to go 300 miles and stopped. He stayed there for almost 30 years <laughs> before he finally went to where he was told to go. Yeah. And God calls him the father... <laughs> of all the nations, the, father, the person he was going to bless people through. It took him 30 years to be obedient. And God still said, I'm going to do it. I'm going to give you what I told you I gave, was going to give you. That's how patient God is. God will work with us. Now don't expect to have a great time while he's working with you. Because <laughs> he's going to keep saying, are you ready to do this? Are you ready to do this? Are you, and, and most of the time when we're in that place where we're being disobedient to what we know God told us to do, we're going, God, please tell me what I should be doing. And God's saying, I already have. God, please tell me what I'm supposed to be doing. I already have. Go do it. And when you're in that disobedience, that's exactly the answer you're going to get. 
Well, when you're obedient in the first step, I'll give you the next step. God doesn't show us all the steps, all, all the road. He shows us just a little bit of the road that we're to walk. One thing, we'd probably be scared to death if we saw the whole, the whole, you know, where we're supposed to be when we've grown into it. Yeah, you know, that would be like telling a kid, okay, uh, kid, you just started walking today, but you're going to play a linebacker next week. <laughs> you know, in the pros, no less. <laughs> no, they, they have to grow. They have to learn. They have to take those baby steps to get there. And so many Christians are afraid that if I start obeying God, he's going to all of a sudden tell me to do what I, what I am very fearful to do. Well, he might 15 years from now. <laughs> he might five years from now. But he's not going to tell you tomorrow to go do what you fear. He's going to raise you up and teach you so that when you finally get there, it's just the next step. And each step is always going to be a challenge. will always be a challenge until you do it. You know, and we use growing up as the same thing. That poor baby laying, on the, laying down on the ground who can't turn over, can't move, can't rock. You know, doesn't know that he's going to be running someday, or at least most of them. You know, they get up on their knees to crawl. They're not knowing that they're going to be running. You know, but they will eventually if they grow and are trained. And so this is the way God is saying, I'm not, he's not expecting us to get up the first day we're saved and go witness to everybody in the world and, and get them all saved. We may get there, some people, but that's not what he's expecting. He's not expecting that person who first gets saved to open up a Bible and be able to, to give the, the most knowledgeable message in the world because that's not what they're grown into. Each one of us grows at the rate that God wants us to do. And it's slow. And we've all met those people. We've all met the people who take forever to get there, and we've also met the people who seem to do, be changed overnight. I've always been envious of those guys who get changed overnight, you know. Uh, I was uh, alcoholic, drinking, smoking, uh, womanizer, I got saved, and nothing, nothing, anything changed overnight. I don't know why God does that for some of them, but it also makes me scared that what they're going to be asked to do in the future is going to be big. I've been one who's been very slow. God's had to beat me over the head with a two-by-four many, many times. And I finally go, okay, God, I think I understand now. Uh, I am getting better. It doesn't take as long nowadays. But he still has to hit me over the head with a two-by-four quite frequently. But God is saying, I want you to grow. I want you to get where you want to be. It takes the obedience from him. And he gives us that strength for the inner man. He gives us strength. I've said it over and over. Christian life is such a wonderful life. We let God do the work for us, and he gives us the reward. (laughs) He gives us the strength to do it because he's the one doing it. And then he turns around, and after he did it, he gives us the reward. And the good thing about his reward, it's eternal. He strengthens us. He gives us. He makes us who we are. And it is a wonderful thing to see how God does things. I don't know if you've walked along with God long enough to really see him do the work. It is so wonderful to go witness to somebody and you start speaking, you're disobedient, and you start speaking and all of a sudden God's speaking through you. If you're teaching, it happens frequently that you're, you're just teaching along and all of a sudden God takes over. You're, you're witnessing to somebody and all of a sudden you're kind of listening to yourself speak and you know it's not you speaking anymore because it's not your words, it's God. Because he wants us out of the way. There's an old 
training video, a, a picture that shows the heart and it has a throne and it says, who's on your throne? For many people, they have themselves still on the throne even when they claim to be a Christian. And for God, he's saying, Jesus is saying, I'm living inside, I want to be in charge of your life. And I know some people are going kind to of go, God's not even standing next to the throne, they got him in a, the, the furthest wing of the house saying, a heart, oh God, if I need you, I'll, I'll, I'll ask you. God's wanting to be on the throne. I don't remember if you guys remember the old bumper sticker, God is my co-pilot. I thought that was the dumbest, dumbest uh, thing you could ever have. I don't want God being my co-pilot. I want him to be in charge and be the pilot. And we need that. We need to recognize he's in charge. If he's not in charge, you've got a problem in your life. Either he's not in there, or you definitely have a problem with being in the wrong place. So we want to look at this, who's in charge of your life. We're going to stop here because we got communion. I'm going to mark it so I don't forget. But uh, who's in charge of your life? Number one, do you know him? If you don't, that's your first step. Confess to God that you're a sinner, that you need, that you know that you deserve punishment and you accept the gift of Jesus. Had paid for it. And if you do that, come and talk to me. I've got a booklet to help you get started on the walk. But for those of us who are Christians, is God on the throne of your heart? Is he the one that you're listening to? You're the only one that knows that. He is the one that needs to be on the throne. I want to challenge you, if he's not, again, ask him to be. Ask him to crucify your flesh. Ask him to put you off the throne and put him on the throne. Because that's where you're going to have victory. That's where the victorious Christian life is, is when you let him have that power. We're going to close in prayer and we'll do communion. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity we have to come before you and to worship. And, and Lord, we just ask, uh, Lord, if there's anyone in this room that doesn't know you, I ask that you put it on their heart right now that they will ask you to be their Lord and Savior. And Lord, for any in this room that don't have you as, as their Lord sitting on the throne, we ask that you convict them also to put you in that position. We just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.